0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Odds On podcast, your home of football and sports betting. My name's Dan Tracy and for the next 45 minutes I'm joined by two top guests as we dissect all the numbers, look for the value and find those long shots before this weekend's football action. As I say it's not just me on the show today so before we start waxing lyrical about wagers let's get the introductions out of the way. First up I'm joined by James Caps. James it's a pleasure to have you on the show again, how have
1: you been this past week? Yeah, you're one, of, uh, you're one of only a few people to say that it's uh, a pleasure for me to be in your company. But yeah, I've been, uh, I've been very well, thank you. Still on a bit of a come down from that dramatic late comeback from my team derby in a 2-2 draw at home to Birmingham on Sunday. And if you could bottle up the adrenaline rush that I got from that second goal, I could probably sell it for millions. But yeah, I'm all good here. Thank you, mate.
0: I'm glad to hear. And also,
1: last but certainly not least, is Jamie Brown. Jamie,
0: a week off for Spurs means less stress, I guess. But how have you been this past seven days?
2: Yeah, I mean, even when Spurs aren't playing, they always find a way to make it somehow stressful. And, of course, on uh, on Monday, it was a very hectic transfer deadline day. I mean, typical Spurs leaving it very late, of course. There were four players that were moved out the door. Uh, we managed to bring two in. So, yeah, really, really hectic day on Monday, kind of covering Spurs on transfer deadline day. Um, but it always is with Spurs and Daniel leave. They always like to leave it late. And, uh Certainly did that on Monday and, and, and a lot of business and a lot of big business too. So um, I'm sure we'll talk about it later on in the show. But yeah, some, some really big moves from Spurs.
0: Absolutely. We certainly will talk about that a bit later. But before we chat all things football and betting, wherever you bet, make sure you check your bets with FreeBets.com first. Your place for offers, tips and insights. Right. It's time to look ahead to the weekend. Although we are certainly up for the cup here, there's one Premier League match we need to dissect as well. And that has all the hallmarks of a relegation six-pointer. Now, James, when it comes to Burnley versus Watford, it's not dripping with glamour in any way. Apologies if you're a Burnley or Watford fan. But with these two teams occupying 19th and 20th in the table,
1: a win for either will give them a timely boost in their bid to avoid relegation. It it certainly would, yeah. But, I mean, I I don't know about you, but I'm having a bit of a hard time making much of a case for either side. I mean, Watford, as we know, a bit all over the place defensively. And, of course, be without Emmanuel Dennis for this one, which... Is a, is a is a fantasy football captaincy topic that caused me much despair after his rep guard last weekend. And Burnley, meanwhile, winless in nine, not scoring tons of goals either. That I think has the ingredients for a really cagey game, really, with both sides probably petrified of losing. Plus, you've got Roy Hodgson in at Watford now, so you know what sort of team he'll have been moulding over the last week or so. So I'm afraid this could well be a bit of an under 2.5 goals banker on Saturday night.
0: Well, Jamie, Roy Hodgson, of course, this is going to be his first port of call for his new stint of management. So I mentioned the cliche of a six-pointer. James Mm. has kind of alluded on the kind of frenetic or tense nature of the game because these teams need to win. But does this mean they'll cancel each other out? Is this going to be more a do not lose game for Watford rather than a must win?
2: Yeah, I think for Watford, this game certainly is more important. Of course, you see their last game, they lost to another fellow relegation rival in Norwich. So they are under real pressure now. Um, of course, they have also lost seven of their last eight. So they are in really horrific form. Um, you then look at Burnley, they have played 18, they are at the bottom because of their uh, lack of games that they have played. So Burnley are going to have plenty of opportunity, other opportunities to climb out of that bottom three. Whereas for Watford, um, they do have a game in hand over Newcastle. They have uh, two, overhand in, two games in hand over Norwich. So um, they, they, I think for, for Watford, this game certainly is more important. And uh, as James said, they are without their top scorer, Dennis. So I think that that's going to be a really big blow for them. And uh, it certainly doesn't make it an easy start for, for Roy Hodgson. And, uh, I'd say for me, Watford are certainly one of my two favourites to go down this year. I just I look at the quality in their team, and I just think they're they're really lacking that. And they they obviously, um, yeah, I just think they're kind of missing those players that really know how to keep uh, a team in the division. So uh, for me, I think this is a, it's a they're in a very difficult situation, Watford. And uh, I think that the game against Burnley is going to be a really tough tough one for them.
0: James, everyone keeps saying Burnley, I've got those games in hands. That's the kind of the get-out clause for them at the moment. But when you look at where their position is in the Premier League table, they're not really making use of the games they've already played. So these games in hand are not quite a fallacy, but they're not quite the, the golden ticket either. Can they make use of one of those at the weekend? Is this going to be a launchpad for Burnley? Because they are difficult to break down on their day, but their day isn't really coming around enough this season. Is Saturday going to be that day?
1: Well, I mean, if if I was picking a winner, it probably would have to be Burnley, just... Because Watford will inevitably give them chances to score, and I think Burnley are just probably the more defensively sound of the two sides. You're looking at around sort of six to five for the home win, which is okay value, I guess. But I think he will be settled by one goal either way. So under 1.5 goals are quite like at 12 to five, and also who, who doesn't love a debiting goal scorer as well? So Voodoo is my selection here to score first at around the five to one mark. But yeah, it's difficult to trust Burnley. You never kind of know what you're going to get with them. You you kind of go into an, a game with them expecting them to be sort of well-organised and quite defensively resolute. But they aren't keeping a huge amount of clean sheets. Although, you know, that said, they busted my treble a couple of weeks ago when they got a nil-nil at Arsenal. So a bit of a a Jekyll and Hyde side as far as defensively and going forward. But I think they might just squeeze this one. And Jamie, one of the criticisms towards Burnley this
0: season is that they're not spending any money, really. They've kind of debunked that theory in January. Not as much money as they would have liked to have spent because they didn't get Mislav Orsic, someone that we both know very well after that night in Zagreb. <laughs> but in terms of Veghorst, he's going to be tasked with the replacement of Chris Woods. Is he going to be the right replacement? I mean, at six foot six, he's the perfect size for a Burnley striker. Can he do the job at Turf Moor?
2: Yeah, look, I, I think on paper he he seems like a really fantastic signing for them. And then of course you compare who they lost in Chris Wood um, to Veghorst, I feel as though I, I, it just feels like an upgrade on on Wood. So, and then of course they have almost made a profit on him. They signed him for £50 million pounds at Wolfsburg. Um, of course, Chris Wood went to Newcastle for 25. So I think already there they've made a profit on a player who's younger and who's better. So I think it's really good business for them. Um, he's, of course, a guy who's got Champions League experience. He's got 12 caps for the Netherlands. He's got 59 goals in 118 Bundesliga matches. He's already got six goals in 18 matches with a really struggling um, Wolfsburg side this year. They're, they're only 15. So to, to still get six goals in 18 matches, I think still fairly good going for a side that's really struggling. So he, he is a really top player and he had a decent Euros Um, The only thing would be whether he can adapt to the Premier League. I think we've seen a lot of players that have come from maybe the Bundesliga. He, of course, did well in the Eredivisie as well. But they've come over to England and they've just found it very difficult. Um, However, he just seems the perfect fit for a Burnley side, a Sean Deitch side. As you said, he's six foot six. Um, I think he he seems like a very much like-for-like replacement with Chris Wood. So you feel as though he should slot into that Burnley system very well. So I, I, think it's, I think it's definitely an upgrade on Chris Wood. I think it's a great bit of business from uh, Burnley. And uh, if he's able to hit the ground running in the Premier League, then uh, they've got a really, really good player there on their hands.
0: James, has this come down to service for Burnley? Because when you look at the fact that they'll now have Weghorst and Cournet up front, two very handy strikers on their day, and it looks like a very exciting combination. The question is, can they get the right service to unlock their goals?
1: Well, uh, if if I know Burnley, I know they're just going to be relentlessly pumping balls into the box. And if they're going to be chucking in 30, 40 crosses a game, then you'd like to think that six or seven of them will, will land on the forehead of the But, you know, you, you look at their options. I mean, it's, it's Aaron Lennon, who he's, he certainly had his day in the Premier League. He could probably have said that about seven or eight years ago. And that kind of leaves you with, with Dwight McNeil, who... He's obviously a talented young player. He burst onto the scene a couple of years ago, but hasn't really kicked on since then. So I'm, I'm looking to him to sort of provide that creative inspiration and potentially Maxwell Cornet, if he can perhaps slip back into midfield and provide a little bit of inspiration as well. But, you know, it's worrying times for Burnley, really. There's You just look across the team, it's, you know, it's pretty, pretty beige, really. It's lacking in vibes and there's just no real sort of creative spark about them. And, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> I've not got a huge deal to say about them because... They just don't really inspire me in terms of betting whatsoever.
0: Jamie, would this be a rather sad end to Sean Dyche's stint if Burnley got relegated? Because although there is the logic that he could also get them back out of the Championship at the first time of asking, you do kind of get the feeling that this could be the final chapter. And if that is the case, would Dyche have some regrets for not taking those links that were happening seasons ago? The likes of Everton, the likes of Crystal Palace. Will there be some regret there?
2: Um, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, look, he's obviously done a fantastic job there at Burnley over the over the years. I think to keep a, a team like Burnley in the division, I think that that's kind of where their ambitions lied to, to remain in the division. And they seem to have done that very well. So, of course, they had that one year where they qualified for Europe and that was obviously fantastic. Um, but I, I do see them staying up this year, I think, to have kept players like Ben Mee and James Tarkovsky, of course, guys that potentially could have gone to Newcastle and West Ham, they were linked away. I think that that's a really solid kind of partnership at the back there. I do, as again, I think Veghorst is a great signing for them. I think McNeil is also as a guy who I do like, and Cornet as well. Of course, he's coming back from the African Cup of Nations. He should be available to face Watford. Um, so personally, I actually see them staying in the division. But um, I think sometimes it's it, now in modern day football it's very difficult for a manager to kind of stay in one job. I think um, just because of the way everything is with money and the pressures of of staying in the Premier League, um, it's very difficult to kind of have that long longevity as, as a manager now. So I think we're probably probably starting to see the end of um, of Sean Dyche's time, and I think as well. Burnley fans, they've also, obviously, they'll want to have a bit more ambition than just trying to stay in the Premier League and then, of course, playing that renowned style of, of really rigid football as well. So, maybe they might look to make that change and look to be a bit more ambitious and try to push for maybe a top-half finish or, or, or something better. So, potentially, it could be the end for for Sol and Deitch and they might look to upgrade on him. But for this year, I, I do actually think they'll have enough to, to stay in the Premier League.
0: OK, then, I'm not sure Burnley versus Watford will be in the long shot, Acker, okay, in terms of that territory, because we're going for odds between 2-1 to one and 5-1. to one. But I want some picks from you both. Let's start with you, Jamie, first. What
2: have you got for me? Yes, so uh, for my long shot, actually, I'm actually going for uh, the African Cup of Nations. Um, I'm going to go for Senegal to to beat Burkina Fassa um, and for both teams to score at 11-2. to two. Um, So in the past, this has been a high scoring fixture. Um, since 2007, these sides have met four times and they've produced uh, 12 goals <laughs> in those matches. So I think this is a game that certainly will have, will have goals in them. Uh, I think Burkina Faso—they've scored in all five of their games at the the competition this uh, th- this campaign—and then Senegal—they've netted five times in their two knockout matches. So I actually I'm going to go for Senegal to uh, to, to defeat Burkina Faso, and both teams to score 11 to two.
0: That's an interesting pick, that James. What have you got? Are you going to the
1: AFCON or are you going somewhere else for me? I'm staying a little bit local, actually. I'm going to go for a bit of a cup set in Staffordshire, actually. I'm going to go for Wigan to win at Stoke at around the sort of 7-2 to mark. And are actually in really good form. They've drawn the last couple of games, but they're unbeaten in 20 as well as just one defeat in the last 18 away matches. And Stoke, on the other hand, yeah, they're doing OK, but the home form continues to tank a little bit. Just two wins in 10 at the Bet365. So certainly a chance for the League One side to go and get something here against championship opponents.
0: OK, that's a good pick. I'm going to add to that. Blackburn to win away at Swansea. You can get that at about 2-1 to one at the moment. The logic here is that Swansea under Russell Martin have not had a good season at all, really. Obviously, Steve Cooper left after Brentford's winning the playoffs last season. Swansea kind of hit the end of a chapter there. They've done nothing, really, in terms of their championship hopes. Relegation is not an immediate threat, but it's hanging over their shoulder at the moment. I think there are just about worse teams. As for Blackburn, they were held at... Luton last weekend and they are one of the few teams playing in the Championship this weekend so that's another game played more than the likes of Bournemouth and QPR so it's imperative they do get that win if not then the likes of the Cherries and the R's will be rubbing their hands together and thinking right Blackburn are in our sight so for that reason alone I think Blackburn will win that also we spoke about Ben Brereton Diaz and he won't be anywhere else. He's at Blackburn still, so that's a win for them, and I think it'll be a win on Saturday afternoon also. And of course, check out freebets.com for all the latest offers and enhanced odds from all the leading bookmakers. Right, so we've got our Premier League preview and long shot Akka out of the way. So let's pivot to the FA Cup because this weekend, 16 fourth round ties to choose from and plenty of betting opportunities approaching on the horizon. So our experts, that's not me, I'm just the host, are going to look at the best of them. So let's start with Holders Leicester, shall we? Because they're going to make the short trip to Nottingham, that being Forest, of course. And it's one of the more interesting ties of the round, shall we say. James, do you think Forest will land a second Premier League scalp? Or does it pain you to say nice things about Derby's rivals?
1: <laughs> I mean, well, you've certainly got to give them a bit of a chance. As, as much as something inside me dies to say something positive about Forrest, but Steve Cooper's proven to be an excellent appointment. And he also made some smart signings in January that will certainly give them a boost in their playoff chase, which is a far cry from the transfer strategy of yesteryear where they, they had a real revolving door and they just kind of seem to sign players just for the sake of it, really. And Leicester are in great shape as far as form and injuries are concerned. They also haven't won away from home since October. So, I mean, there's far worse bets this weekend than the home win to a pretty punchy sort of 11-4, to 3-1 to kind of ballpark in terms of price. And remember, this is a Leicester side that they'll be without Jamie Vardy again. They've also been pretty defensively suspect as well. So the Reds went certainly one of the value picks on Sunday. I've actually managed to talk myself around to back in Forest in the process of giving my answer, which is quite something really. That's quite the pivot in actually one
0: answer. I like the way you started in one direction, ended in the other, but there's nothing wrong with that at all. So Jamie, in terms of Leicester this season, I mean, Mm. yes, they won the FA Cup last time around, but do you think a second successive failure to not land an invite to the Champions League has really taken the wind out of their sails this time around?
2: Yeah, I, I I kind of compare it a little bit to to Maurizio Pochettino at, at Spurs. I think it's it's so many of those near disappointments. I think it can get to a point where you've had so many of them that you just kind of need a refresh and maybe a change of manager. Um, I think it's it's harsh in a way to just put the blame on the managers, as as James said. They have had lots of injuries this year. They've had a, like and of course you know every team has their injury uh, injury concerns, but I think for Leicester they've always been missing up to like nine, ten players. Each game, there's been a lot of key players missing. They've, of course, had a lot of players go off to the African Cup of Nations as well. So, I think just to put the blame on the manager as well would be a little bit harsh. I think you definitely have to caveat that they have had a lot of injuries. But it's it's strange that they're formed because they, they did seem to make a, a nice refresh in the, in the transfer window. They, of course, Brought in Dhaka, Sumara, Vestergaard, Lukman in the summer. Um, they, of course, had uh, Jujbi Hall come into the side as well, who's been a, a good young addition. So it, it's strange to kind of see why they haven't really kind of kicked on this year. But I do wonder maybe whether there is a need for a change of manager just because to have that so many disappointments, sometimes it just needs to be changed um, and then, of course, as I said, you look at that Leicester team. There's no reason why they shouldn't be doing better than they are and have those ambitions. So, again, I think it might be another one where Leicester, although Brendan Rogers has had that success, they might look to kind of uh, make that change in manager. So um, maybe we are coming towards the end of, of, of uh, Rodgers' tenure at, at Leicester. But uh, I think they've certainly had their their misfortunes with uh, with injuries this year, and I think that that's been a big reason for them um, really struggling. And of course. I think they've got this really interesting trip to, to kind of the city ground on on the weekend in the FA Cup. I think that we saw Arsenal go there and lose. So I, I think there's definitely potential there for a, for a possible upset um, again.
0: Jamie, staying with you, would you perhaps need extra time to break this deadlock? I don't know. The way Leicester sort of set up, I don't know if the FA Cup's going to be a priority when you consider the the Europa Conference League as well. So, is it mm. going to be a banana skin? Do you reckon Leicester can clear this hurdle without the need of extra minutes or penalties? Can they get it done in ninety? Well,
2: I think the thing as well, again, they they're coming to this fixture missing some really key players, and there's a lot of their squads been taken out. So, I think they'll be looking to probably the Premier League, and, and as you said, maybe Europe, European football. They're not going. To, they've got a pretty small squad, pretty small squad now. So. I think they're going to have to field a team that's, that's looking pretty weak. So I really think there is there's a possibility for an upset. Again, I think Steve Cooper, he's, he is doing a great job at, at Nottingham Forest. And to have beaten Arsenal, they've really caused one upset. They'll have the confidence to go there. So I, I really think that, they'll be, uh, that uh, Nottingham Forest will be able to take advantage of maybe a, a Leicester side that's really short of confidence, that's short of players. So do you know what? I, re- I really do kind of fancy Nottingham Forest to, to cause an upset on the weekend
0: interesting picks there. I think, yeah, it's fair game really, isn't it? I think the way that Forest are just on the fringes of the Championship playoff race and you kind of think Stevie Cooper has transformed them in short time. So why not? You know, why not take another scalp after such a great performance against Arsenal? Of course, what would the FA Cup be without a bit of non-league romance? And after disposing of Reading in the previous round, Kidderminster had been rewarded with a visit of West Ham. So Jamie, what do you reckon will be the lie of the land at Agra on Saturday?
2: Mm. Uh, to be honest, I think West Ham probably will have just enough quality um, to beat Kidderminster. I think that is just such a kind of a big difference in in kind of quality between the two teams. So I think West Ham will just about get the job done. I think they'll still um, look to put out a pretty strong side. There is the potential for a, a real giant killing, of course, 12.30 on a Saturday I think those kind of those earlier kickoffs. Sometimes the Premier League clubs, and uh, you know, it's, it can be sometimes difficult for these teams to really get up for it. So, and then of course going away to Kidderminster, that's potential. Um, you know they're there for the upset, and then of course you look at West Ham's form. They're, they are in a really kind of they're in a difficult period at the moment. Um, I'm sure the atmosphere at the club will be quite low. Of course, they've suffered two consecutive defeats. Um, the lack of transfer business as well. They obviously failed with a, a late move for Darwin Nunes on, on transfer deadline day. So I think the kind of the atmosphere as well at the club is 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 very low. So there is the potential for a possible upset given those three factors but I think ultimately I do, I do think West Ham will have the quality um, to beat them and then of course if they do field a weakened line-up I'm sure they'll have some of their big guns on the bench and if, if it does get to a point where um, maybe they are struggling to break, bre- uh, break Kidderminster down they'll bring on the big guns and, and probably will get the job done in the end.
0: By the same token James do you fancy Boreham to get anything at all from their trip to Bournemouth especially as the Cherries have made five new signings on deadline day?
1: Uh, Probably not. I think Scott Parker's side will just be that little bit too strong. But, you know, it's it's a free hit for Bournemouth. They go into the game in great forms, just one defeat in the last 22 matches. And Bournemouth's transfer activity is probably put in action by the fact that their form has been a little bit on the wobbly side. But there's no denying that the Cherry's quality, though. Plus, added competition for places as well. I think it'll probably spark a decent performance from them. But, you know, one might be tempted to back Boreham Wood in the handicaps if you want a little bit of value. Plus two is even money. So if you think the conference side can make a bit of a game of it, then that's probably the better direction you want to head into. And James, I'm not sure how many are going to be cut tied for that
0: visit of Boreham Wood. But in terms of the championship odds that we referenced last week, Bournemouth have shortened to two to five on. Now, I think that's because of that transfer flurry. Is that something that you back up there?
1: I mean, I wouldn't personally back it myself just because of and the nature of the championship with everybody beating everybody and the kind of run that Bournemouth are on at the minute. It could well continue, but they have made some real good signings. I mean, the Nat Phillips signing was, you know, caused me to particularly raise my eyebrows. They must have spent an absolute fortune on him in terms of a loan fee. I mean, you're probably looking at sort of three, four million quid for a, a six-month loan when he was linked with, with sort of 15, 20 million pound moves to the likes of West Ham. Earlier in the month. So it sort of tells you the sort of pulling power that Bournemouth have and the sort of money they have in their pockets. I think Todd Cantwell, he's on a bit of a downward curve at Norwich, but it's got Park and get in play, and then he's potentially a game changing signing. And you look at Blackburn, QPR, I mean, Ben Brereton Diaz has been absolutely sensational for him this season, but before this year, he wasn't particularly scoring goals at all for Blackburn. And, you do worry that his form might flatline a little bit. He's been away with Chile, of course, in World Cup qualifiers. So how much of a toll is that going to take on him? And, you know, in terms of the squad game, there's only one winner, really, between sort of Bournemouth, Blackburn and QPR, and that's the cherries, really. So you'd have to fancy them to go all the way. But with the way the championship is, Bournemouth have been wobbling. They have been picking up some pretty poor results. But I do fancy them to sort of pick up and find their quality in the end and get there.
0: And James, of course, the leaders of the Premier League are going up against the leaders of the Championship. And that always makes for a good subplot in the FA Cup. Do you think Fulham will have any chance against
1: Pep Guardiola's City machine? Um, short answer, no. But I know, I know we're in the, the podcast game and we like to get it up to the magic 45-minute mark. So I'll give you a slightly elongated answer. But I mean, you you know, Yeah, the Fulham, I mean, the Fulham cycle over the last few years has been rather repetitive, hasn't it? They've been hammering teams in the Championship before getting duly chewed up and spat out by the... The Premier League sides the following year. I mean, their only real hope is that City are caught cold by the fact that they've been off for a couple of weeks, really. I mean, they're a brilliant side for them when it comes to Championship football, but City's third or fourth team beats them pretty comfortably, and I'm expecting a pretty regulation home win for Pepsi men. He doesn't usually get these kind of games wrong.
0: And, Jamie, as a Spurs fan, what do you make of the pairing with Brighton this weekend? I've got a sneaky feeling it's going to need extra time because Brighton are incredibly hard to beat both home and away. Is that something that you would agree with?
2: Yeah, I I think it's certainly going to be a close game. It's a very interesting game, actually, as well. I think it's definitely kind of the pick of this round of FA Cup matches. I think you've got two teams here who are in really good form. Of course, Brighton, they're a side that really impressed me this year. I think that uh, Graham Potter is just doing a fantastic job there, getting them playing really attractive football. They've, of course, got that fantastic three-back system. Um, They will be missing, of course, Dan Burn. I think that that's a big loss for them. And maybe that could dent their confidence and and maybe bring them down a bit in terms of how they are feeling as a club. I think for Spurs, I think it was a mixed transfer window. Um, Of course, we would have maybe liked a few more in, but we, of course, lost four players who were really contributing to very little. Um, I think they were bringing a very negative atmosphere to the club. So To get players out like that, I think that will certainly bring us up. Um, so, and then of course you you see the two new boys coming in, Benz and Kooer and Kulusevsky. I think they're two pretty good additions for Antonio Conte's side, of course. Um, I think they're, they're players that the manager would have liked. Um, sporting director Fabio Pratici would have liked. So I think that those two signers would have lifted the mood, really. But the, these are, of course, I, I think it's a very close um, contest, this one. I think it'll be a very close game. I think it'll be a low-scoring match. Of course, both sides have been pretty sound, uh, sound defensively this season. So I think you're right. I think we'll say a low-scoring match. But uh, I do think Spurs will still just have enough quality um, and just that whole confidence of being at home uh, to get the job done in, in normal time.
0: Jamie, I'll stay with you because obviously you mentioned Tottenham's business at the start of the show, so let's sort of delve into that a little bit deeper. It's four
2: out, it's two in. Yeah, I, I think the main thing is that Spurs have kind of set the groundwork for, for going big in the summer. I think January is never really a window where you can get in proper first targets, so I think it was always going to be very tricky for Spurs to go and strengthen in all the positions that they needed. Of course, Spurs, we now want quality. I think there's been a number of years now when we've gone through the chance windows and we've kind of brought in players that didn't particularly strengthen our starting eleven. So, I'm kind of happy for us to, to leave the majority of incomings until the summer. Um, I think to get players like Lo Celso and Dombele and Deli Ali all out the door, they were players that Conte just did not fancy. They were never going to contribute anything. So to have lost them, I don't, we haven't really lost anything really there in terms of people that are truly going to contribute. So, um, I, I think in that sense, it's been fairly good business. I think Kulisevsky's a good signing. I think he'll be a player that will offer Conte a number of different options. I think he'll be played as maybe a number 10 and, and kind of a creative player. When I've spoken to Juventus fans about him, that's where he's kind of best suited. So, interested to see him. But then, of course, you look at Spurs' rivals as well. I know a lot of Spurs fans have complained about the lack of business. But then you look at Arsenal. They've, of course, they didn't bring anyone in. And they've, of course, weakened their squads. Uh, Manchester United—they haven't really made any real additions either—and um, then of course they have lost players. Um, West Ham the same. They've, they, you know, they've struggled to bring anyone in at all. So I think all those Spurs fans will be disappointed with no backup striker, no right wing back, um, or no creative—you know—real creative player brought in. I think if you look at what they've done in comparison to their their top four rivals, I think it's—I think it's actually been a fairly successful um, transfer window, a uh, January transfer window for Spurs.
0: Well, it's always hard to rate a window out of ten. I know that's the kind of the buzz theme at the moment, isn't it? You know, pick a number in terms of how your window has been for your team, but you can't really gauge the quality of a window until the end of the season because that's when all the prizes are handed out. So, in theory, it looks good. I'm happy with it because, as you say, if you've got players that aren't really doing anything, what's the point of them being there? So, numerically, you think, oh, actually, we might be a bit short, and if we get injured, then that might be. A problem but you know this happens in football anyway if there's injuries you know we're not immune to that we just have to kind of roll with the punches so I think you can only really gauge how successful this move or moves will be in May and if it does pay off and the ends justify the means then it will be a great bit of business but James let's focus on Manchester United now they were referenced just a second ago because they bought no one in January is that going to hamper them against Middlesbrough and will Middlesbrough want a cup run because although it sounds silly they are in the cut and thrust of the playoff race. There's a lot of football in the Championship. There's also going to be as many as three games in the playoffs. You've got the Cup. Is this something that Chris Wilder can do without?
1: Uh, I, I don't think he'll have much of a, a bearing on Manchester United, a lack of January transfer signings in, in, in regards to this game specifically, just because even if he... They brought in a, a whole host of signings. I think a lot of them would have got would have been rested anyway, and a lot of the key players, Bruno Fernandez, Cristiano Ronaldo, they're unlikely to play this game anyway. But in terms of Middlesbrough, I don't think Chris Wilder is particularly the sort of manager who would who would see additional games as much of a hindrance. But you know, if he does feel that way, he can always rotate the side, knowing that they're unlikely to get a result anyway. But I think you'll be looking at it as a chance to, to carry on their really good run of form. They've won six of the last seven matches, including a, a victory over Coventry that helped me land a nice little nine-to-one fourfold. I, I won't mention that, but you know, just I just thought I'd get that in there. In there. So on the, on the one hand, you probably want to give this game a good crack against a Manchester United side who, let's face it, they can be got out regardless of what kind of side they put out. But on the other hand, Middlesbrough go to QPR in midweek, which is a massive game as far as the Championship playoffs are concerned. So he'll likely have one eye on that one. But, you know, it's a game I'd probably stay well clear of from a a better perspective until I at least see some team news from either side. But I do think United will be okay here.
0: By the same token, Jamie, you look at a team like Cardiff and they will arguably be glad of a week off from their Championship woes because it's not been a great season for them. Like Swansea, relegation isn't imminent, but it's not kind of something that can just be ignored either. So are they going to look at their trip to Anfield as something of a free hit?
2: Yeah, I I think for sure. And, uh, And potentially, though, you look at Liverpool in the last round, they, of course, really kind of in a lot a lot of uh, Jurgen Klopp's reign he's really viewed these cup competitions as you know he's never really gone very far in them or taken them very seriously so there could be a potential for an upset there i think if you look in their last round they of course they did have almost a slight scare against Shrewsbury where they did go 1-0 behind they then brought on the big hitters as i said maybe in the case similar to the west ham match i think they'll have all their big hitters on the bench to bring off um just in case they do need that but uh i I think this will definitely be a case where liverpool will be too strong they of course started van dyke and canates and robertson in their back four so they'll certainly put in the quality um into their 11. and then for for cardiff um they did they did obviously get that big win on the weekend against nottingham forest that was a, a huge win for them so maybe a bit of confidence there um they did only beat preston in the last round so um, I, I, I think that this one will definitely be a case of, of Liverpool will have the, the quality to bring off the bench if they do need it. And uh, yeah, I, I think Liverpool will win this. And Cardiff will probably view that as, as real kind of a free hit. I think that, that will definitely be the case on that on the weekend.
0: Right, before we move on, I need a correct score from you both. So it's as simple as that. As like last week, anywhere in the world, what's
1: your correct score bet going to be? James, I'll start with you. OK, I'm off to the uh, Guatemalan second of... Um... <laughs> I'm off to I'm off to Molyneux, actually, for my pick here for the match between Wolves and Norwich. Um, Canaries haven't really strengthened at all in January. They don't score many goals at all. And I think they'll be edged out here against the Wolves side, who themselves aren't prolific in front of goal either, but just have the quality they need to get the job done here. They drew 0-0, I think it was, at Cairo Road early in the season. I don't think there'll be many goals here. So 1-0 Wolves in the correct score market here is the play. For me, that is available at 6-1. to It's
0: a very nice price. And Jamie, what have you got for me?
2: Yep. so I've actually stuck with Tottenham. Um, I'm going to back us to beat Brighton 2-1. I think, as I've said, at home, Spurs have been really good this season. They've won 70% of their home matches, so they have been really strong. Brighton, they have been uh, pretty poor away from home this year. They've only won 27% of their their games away from home, so I do think Spurs will win, as we said. I think it'll be a fairly low-scoring match. Um, I think Spurs, they have averaged nearly two goals a game at home. So I think potentially Spurs could, could get a few. But yeah, as I said, I th- I th- I'm going to go for 2-1 to Spurs uh, against Brighton on the weekend in the FA Cup.
0: Good shout, Jamie. And of course, if you are going to place any correct score bet or you fancy any bet this weekend, check out freebets.com for all the latest offers. Right, that's our correct score picks out of the way. Let's go to the final segment of this week's show, which is the transfer window. And thankfully for some... It's locked shut for a few months. We can sort of take a breath, relax. There's no more transfer woes or frenzy or anything like that. With that in mind, has the business which has taken place, has it moved the needle somewhat in the relegation market? So we spoke about this last week. So I just want to kind of build on that as a point of reference and see what has happened in the last seven days. So firstly, let's look at Everton because there's been some big news, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch also. Arguably bigger news off the pitch because Frank Lampard is now their manager. Now, with that in mind, they've drifted out to 6-1 to one in terms of being relegated. So, James, do you think that was the right decision that was finally made by the Everton board?
1: I mean, it was certainly the right decision to get rid of Rafa Benitez. It was clearly doomed from the start and it was only going from bad to worse for them, really, in terms of results and morale, both on and off the pitch. We saw some pretty unsavoury scenes between the Everton fans and Bill Kenwright the, in the aftermath of their last Premier League game. So, you know, when, when that sort of thing happens, you, you know a club is in a bit of trouble. But for me, the, the jury is very much out. On uh, Frank Lampard. I mean, speaking as a Derby County fan, I certainly wasn't blown away by his his management of the side. We had some brilliant moments under him, don't get me wrong, but we also had the likes of Mason Mount, Keo Tamori, and Harry Wilson alongside what was a very expensively assembled squad. And he only just got in the playoffs. I mean, we 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 obviously look at the the Leeds game in which Jack Marriott scored late to get us to Wembley and or the rest of the rubbish that happened in the aftermath. But it took a it took a result on the final day of the season to just to squeeze into sixth place. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not overly sold on him, but I would be sort of mildly excited about it if I was an Everton fan. He's a big name and he can probably bring in some big names to the club. And, you know, Chelsea didn't really work in the end. But, you know, it's a it's a big job for Lampard. He needs to get this one right, or he'll probably struggle to get a Premier League job again. He's made some interesting signings, and if he can get the best out of them, then... He's off to a great start, but, you know, failure to do so and the pressure will be right back on him. Jamie,
0: one of those signings is Deli Ali, someone that we both know very well. I guess a rather sad end to his time in North London. When you look at the peak of his career, which was only a few years ago, it's been such a rapid decline. Can his career be saved at Everton? Is this that kind of move? It's kind of one more to go. And if not, you might be looking at Championship thereafter.
2: Mm, yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously been a really disappointing way the way Dale Alli's career ended at Spurs. And it just feels as though it's really just petered out, unfortunately. And it's really strange to have seen him gone. But um, no, I, I think this is a good move for him. I think working under Frank Lampard, I think that what Delhi needs is, is, is kind of a mentor, really. And I think Frank Lampard, if you look at the job he did with a player like Mason Mount, I think this could be the perfect move for him. They're, of course, similar kind of midfield players, um, to obviously when Lampard was was playing, um, so potentially he could help him there. But I think with Delhi it's just trying to get that confidence back. I think that um, it was you know he suffered two bad hamstring injuries. One was when uh, against Fulham in in, in uh, early 2019, and um, ever since he's just kind of struggled to get that back. I think when Daly Ali's been at his best, it's all been about confidence. He does stuff without thinking about it. The late runs into the box, you know all the all the flicks and the tricks that he does. Um, but he's just completely lost that confidence. And then I think there's been a lack of motivation to, to kind of get back to his best. So I think under a manager like Lampard and having seen the job that he's done with a few players in the past, um, I, I think this is a good move for Deli Um And I, I really hope he does get back to his best because, of course, the numbers he put up when he was, you know, just starting in the Premier League, just making that £5 million move from MK Dons, it was really kind of almost unmatched. It was really up there with some of the top young players we've ever seen in the Premier League. So, um, he's obviously got that ability. It's, it's just trying to find that confidence and, and motivation to get back to his best. But I think under Lampard, um, he's, he's got a pretty good shot of doing that. So, uh, best of luck to him.
0: And Jamie, with Donny van der Beek also making a move to Everton, albeit a short-term one, could you see a change of shape for the Toffees? Because they're known as a bit of a back-four team. Could you see a back-three?
2: Yeah, potentially. I think that Lampard will probably look to play maybe a more forward-thinking kind of football. Um, I think Van der Beek's also another uh, pretty decent signing. I know he's not played a lot for Manchester United, but I think that that's another fairly solid signing. You of course, look at their other midfield options. They've got De Kure, Allen, so they've got some nice options there as well. Um, And then, of course, their attacking options. It's just having um, uh, Calvert-Lewin and and Richarlison fit. I mean, they've obviously had some injury issues, both of them, this season. So if they can stay fully fit, then I really don't think they'll have many problems in terms of... uh, They'll certainly avoid the relegation battle. But no, I'm I'm really interested to see what Lampard could do there. And, uh, you know, I think they'll want to play maybe a more progressive style of football now. So um, I'm really looking forward to seeing them under Lampard. Um, I think at Chelsea as well, It was always a very tricky job for him. I think once they had that transfer ban uh, lifted, um, the expectation was always going to be much greater. I think he went in there at the perfect time for Chelsea, really, because they needed a manager who could get the best out of young players. And then once that that expectation keeps getting greater, I think that's when he really started to struggle. Um, I think at Everton, he'll be in a similar position to where he was at the start of his his time at Chelsea. So I think it's quite a nice fit for Lampard, actually. And uh, as I said, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what you can do with them.
0: Now, Everton's first bit of Premier League business under Frank will be against Newcastle next week. So, James, Newcastle were rather busy on deadline day. Not quite the frenzy of activity that many expected and throwing cash left, right and centre. But they have got bodies in. As a consequence, they're now 13 to 8 to be relegated. At the current list, it means they're fourth. So that would also indicate they're going to stay up. Is that something that you feel they're going to do?
1: I think they'll just about manage it. I mean, I'm not overly enthused by their transfer activity, but I think it will get them on the right side of that relegation jagged line. I mean, man for man, there are probably three or four teams now worse than them. But, you know, these things get get settled on the pitch and it's up for them to get the results now. The next game against Everton is absolutely massive. They'll, of course, be... Desperate to get a result for themselves, to get Frank Lampard up and running. And, you know, in terms of Newcastle to survive, will they, won't they? I wouldn't be particularly interested in getting involved in that market, mainly because I still think Newcastle are very capable of going on a poor run. And I don't see many goals in the side, but I do still think it's going to be Norwich, Burnley and Watford who take the drop.
0: Well, Jamie, by the same token, Norwich have shrunk to 1-5 to on after windows close. So I think that's really a case of, Fundamental business or a lack thereof being done in January. There's also less confidence in the Canaries over the past few days. I know Todd Cantwell was moved on, but he wasn't really a fundamental player this season at Norwich, but it's still a loss at the same time. So they've not really replaced him in any way. Does that consign him to the drop?
2: Mm, I, I think their transfer business kind of says everything about their ambition, really. I mean, they're, they're a club that certainly needed additions this month. I think they're really lacking in quality in uh, in quality in players that can score goals. So that's, that's really what they needed to add. And, and to have not really looked to have brought anyone in, as I said, just kind of shows where their ambitions lie. I think really the only saving the only real saving grace is is Dean Smith as the manager. He's another manager that I do really actually quite like. Of course he kept Aston Villa up that that season, so he's got that experience of keeping teams in the division. But um, I think along with Watford there there's certainly two teams that I really really think have have got very strong chances of going down this season. I just think even with Josh Sargent having got that brace at, at Watford I, I just struggle to see where they've got the goals in the team to, to stay up to stay up and uh, their transfer business was was really woeful. Not to bring anyone in is is a huge disappointment for them. So um, they're definitely a side that I think will go down along with Watford this season.
0: And if we move up the table, James, what do you make of Aubameyang doing his best Peter Odden winging impression and getting a move to Barcelona? Because the Gunners are now 3-1 to one to finish in the top four, and that's with no replacement forward. Is that something that you would
1: back or not? Well, I mean, it was a bit of a fast hit. It took until the end of January for a deal to even get done. Arsenal clearly didn't want him around the club anymore and thus he didn't want to be there anymore himself. And that's been the case for a good five or six weeks now. Barcelona, certainly the winners from the deal, they've got a striker who will score goals in La Liga and he does improve their forward line while Arsenal are left with Alexandre Lacazette who's probably leaving the club in the summer. And the same can probably be said for Eddie Nketiah as they main striking option so you know with that in mind i wouldn't be touching three to one with a a 10-foot barge pole i mean there is a lot to like about arsenal don't get me wrong i think there's a lot of likability, and i think they will continue to improve as a side but i just don't think they're quite ready for that next step in champions league football i think they'll be edged out by the likes of manchester united and also i think spurs have got plenty to say as well in this uh, top four race as well well jamie you're not going to shed any tears over a weakened arsenal are you so they're going to be light
0: in the forward department there's no doubt about that Has this created something of an issue for Mikel Arteta? Because his contract ends in 2023. You kind of get the feeling that he needs to do something this season to then have a stronger bat in terms of negotiations next time around. So I'm not saying that failure to get the top four means the sack, but it's certainly going to put a bit of weight on his shoulders. What do you make of the situation?
2: Well, I certainly found their pursuit of a striker very odd, of course, they do desperately need one they 've only been left with Eddie Nketiah and Kettier uh, and Alex Lacazette as their two strikers, and neither I think are as top four quality. Um, so, I, as I said, I just found it bizarre. They went after Dusan Vlahovic very hard. It, of course, became very apparent early on that he wasn't keen in a move to them. Obviously, lots of reports and he wasn't even answering their calls. So, um, I think that that was bizarre that they kept on trying for him. I would have thought they should have looked elsewhere. They desperately, desperately needed that striker. And, and going into the window, they had a fantastic opportunity of finishing in the top four. They, of course... They haven't had to contend with European football this year. All their rivals, West Ham, Tottenham, Man United and Chelsea, all have um, European fo- all had European football to contend with this year. So they had a really great shot. And um, of course, as well, with, with January being so poor for them as well, lack of goals, it, it really felt as though an opportunity for them to kind of counter that by bringing in a striker. Um, but to keep going after a striker that clearly didn't want to join them I just found that quite bizarre. Um, and now they are really like of course yes they've got some real quality behind them uh, behind the potential striker with Smith Rowe, um, uh, Saka and, and Martinelli, but I think if you look at Spurs they've got you know they've got Harry Kane, Chung-Min Son, Man United they've got Ronaldo, Cavani, um, Rashford to, to score goals and uh, and even West Ham they've got Antonio and uh, you look at Arsenal they just don't have that real goal scorer so i think that that's going to put them under real pressure in, in the in the race for the top 4 and of course Mikel Arteta you know if they're not they're not they've got to be qualifying for, at least for european football so i think there is now real pressure on on arteta to to maybe to, to do be doing better but without a striker i think it's very difficult to see them getting into that top 4 now
0: I'd have to agree there, Jamie. And of course, if you're looking to bet on either the relegation market or the top four, check out freebets.com for all the best insight and betting tips. Right, our final bit of business before we log off for this week is our odds on threefold, where we're going to dive into anywhere in the world, actually. We're going to open it up because the FA Cup is not offering too many in terms of odds on, or at least not in the range that we want. Our range is one to two on at a minimum and evens as the maximum. So let's see if we can get a first combined winner over the line. And James, I'm going to start with you.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go for an Everton win over Brentford Trang Lampard, We can get up and running for victory here. There's also a little less pressure on them with it being in the cup, of course. And hasn't been a great week in the Brentford camp with all that Ivan Tony nonsense. So a home win is my pick here at 11 to 10. It's a good price that. And Jamie, what have you got for me?
2: Yep. Uh, So I've got uh, Wolves to beat Norwich. They, Of course, they're at home as well. So I think the Wolves have been in uh, obviously fantastic form um, over recent weeks as well. And they're probably a side that will start to challenge for the European spot. So um, I think as well, you look at Norwich, we spoke about them. Um, They are in a really poor uh, run of form. So I've got Wolves to beat Norwich at four to six.
0: I like it. It's a very tempting price. I'm going to go north of the border. Not the big two, but I'm going to go to Edinburgh. The green half of that, Hibbs. They play home to St Mirren at the weekend. They were held at home to Hearts on uh, Tuesday night in the Edinburgh Derby. But they've got to thank their goalkeeper for that point. But they are looking a lot better under Sean Maloney since his appointment. So I think Hibbs will be up for three points at Easter Road. And with that in mind, I'm going to go for them at three to four on. So that brings us to full time for this week. I just need to do the admin before we wrap up. As mentioned, if any of these bets take your fancy, make sure to visit the free bets website. And now I just need to thank my duo of top guests. So James, thanks for joining me this afternoon. I hope you enjoyed that one. Cheers, Dan. And Jamie, thanks for your time and sharing your betting insights with me. Thanks, Dan. Fantastic. Cheers, guys, and also to the listeners out there. And with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is the Odds On Podcast. And until next time, Goodbye.